Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Hello, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Okay, so in our summer of SCOTUS, um, or our SCOTI, since there will be many, many courts that we will talk about, um, I think that one of the most fascinating parts of how we start to think about the Supreme Court is how they decide to take cases. What their, I know that there's the rule of four, where at least four of them have to want to even bother to hear the case, right? So so anything you have below that already, poop gone. Um, so you, so you already have to have a hook and you have to be interesting, but also there are, I'm sure are other factors about how they, how they pick cases. Can you, let, let, so in the, you, you know, somebody comes in with 200 briefs and they go thump and they drop it all down on the table and they say, <laughs> okay, everybody vote, right? Or everybody read through these briefs. Cause I assume that's what they get, right? Is a rough brief of the, or a brief of the, of the case. Yes. Is that how it starts? They get a brief of the case and then... Okay, and then so okay, so let's just say, for instance, Nia, uh, the uh, uh, federal agency known as Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms asserts that you uh, have been selling guns illegally, okay, across state lines, okay? And they uh, just asking for a friend, right? This isn't either one of us doing this. Just so, yeah. readers, so listeners know, neither this one is, of us is a gun runner. We're this, just we're making this up. Okay. This is a hypothetical. Yeah, because right? both of us have had trouble <laughs> in the past with the legal system, but in this particular instance, this is a hypothetical. Okay. This, this is a hypothetical, right? Okay. So if the ATF were- says Nia is running mm-hmm. guns. Yes, you're violating a federal law that prohibits uh, interstate handgun sales. Oh, let me guess. That's part of the Commerce Clause. You are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm just, you know, just because the Commerce Clause is the answer to everything. Okay. So they say, I've done this thing. Yes. Okay. So uh, they arrest you, right? Okay. Um, and uh, instead of taking a plea bargain, you go to court. Heck yeah. Okay, so uh, the trial court uh, for uh, 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 federal law breaking is a U.S. district court. In this instance, you would basically just go down the street to the you know, <laughs> federal courthouse. In the I was going to say, it's handy that I live in Richmond where one of these federal districts is based. But yeah, if right? not, then I would be traveling to that place that's right and okay. let's say for instance you lose okay okay but in the case your attorney files a motion claiming that the federal law that the atf alcohol tobacco and firearms used to arrest you violates the second amendment um and uh the federal district court judge disagrees with your attorney rules against you so you file an appeal. Now, when you file an appeal, okay, you can't go ahead and say, you should you know, overturn my conviction because I'm innocent. 
Okay. Right, because that boat has sailed. Yeah, that boat has sailed. A, a, a jury of my peers or a jury of juries, of jurors, right, of uh, judges. But and either then, way, some uh, group has decided Yes. that part's done. Yes. But what you can argue is, um, in terms of interpreting the law, or in this case, interpreting the Constitution, okay, the uh, trial court judge, the federal district court judge, got it wrong. Ah, huh. okay. Now, let's say um, you, your attorney is unpersuasive with the three-judge panel for the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. I'm getting rid of this attorney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Just as a side note, this guy's not helping me. But okay. So then you file an appeal to the United States Supreme Court. And in a previous episode, um uh the 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 legal phrase is you file you will file a writ of certiorari. It's a Latin, okay? Um it basically gets uh abbreviated to um, cert writ, you filed an appeal, okay? Okay. Now, when you file an appeal, and you, your attorney, even if you've gone ahead and replaced them because you're <laughs> unhappy with your current legal representation. My new attorney files this writ. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll go to the Supreme Court website because the Supreme Court website actually has uh, the guidelines for submitting appeals. Wait. So before that, I assume they were in print somewhere. Yes. And my attorney would have had to get a hold of a print copy. That's right. Which tells them what? What does the form tell? It tells them how to fill out forms? Well, no, it actually uh, tells you uh, the organization of your appeal, font size, margin. <gasps> it's like a professor with a paper. Yeah. <laughs> This I, is what you have to write about. This is the format that you have to do it in. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So college prepares you for this if you ever need to do it. I tell my students all the time, particularly in constitutional law, that if you think my paper instructions are over <laughs> the top, okay? You haven't tried to file an appeal before the Supreme Court. Supreme Court. I, which is probably a good thing because if you're in that kind of trouble, <laughs> you know. But that's tough. But anyway, okay. So there's so there's some pages about how to physically and or structurally set up your because I assume there's an order. Yes. Right? You have to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you state uh, the name of the court decision from the lower court that you are appealing. Okay. Um, you will give a brief synopsis of the legal or constitutional issues that you will be focusing on. And then basically your appeal will briefly touch upon why you believe the Supreme Court should take your case so you can argue the lower court or lower courts got it wrong. Okay. okay. Now, let's say your attorney submits your appeal in the summer. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and remember, uh, 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 as we previously discussed, basically the Supreme Court's term runs from the first Monday of October until typically the last week of June. After that, the justices scatter like the wind. 
I can't hear you. I'm too busy hanging out at the Grand Canyon. Yes. Okay. That's Clarence Thomas and his well-furbished uh, okay, recreational <laughs> vehicle that he and his wife um, and their adopted son use every summer, right? Well, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg is in Europe playing basketball for one of the European teams, and yeah, whatever you know, the Alita was in his fishing cabin ignoring everyone and everything and reading all the books he can't read during the season. Yes. Okay, so they've all gone off and they're all doing their things. But all of these appeals, all of these cert writs get, piling the, up. get piled up. Now, the clerks of the justices, okay, will read through them to make recommendations to the justices on which cases they uh, should want to take on appeal. So the first, if you will, cut the first glance at these appeals aren't by the individual justices. It's by their clerks. That's a lot of power for the clerks. Oh, it's huge. And it's a very controversial issue within judicial politics. Because if you think about the clerks, they are typically fresh out of law school. Most of them have very little or no uh, practical legal experience. Almost all of them go to elite law schools. So it's not like, you know, they went to, um, and, and I, I'm not besmirching this law school, but it's not like they went to <clears throat> um, Appalachian School of Law, okay, in Grundy, Virginia, right? You know, they've gone to, you know, the, the Ivies. They've gone to Stanford. They've gone to Chicago, Northwestern, right? Duke. Yeah, these guys are coming out of those. Okay, much like the justices. Right. Okay, much like the These justices. men and women, because there are also women who are clerks, right? It's not just men. Right. Okay. Okay, so. And do, what, hang on. So how long does a clerk serve a judge? Can you be a clerk forever? Uh, well, theoretically, yes, but most of them only do it for a year. Okay. Are they paid? Yes, they are. Okay. Are they paid by the justice or are they paid by the system? They're paid by the government. Okay. So they're government employees. Yes. Okay. okay. Each Supreme Court justice gets four clerks. The chief justice gets five um, because the chief justice is the main administrative officer for the entire federal court system. Interesting to note, the last two chief justices, Roberts and Rehnquist, have refused their fifth clerk in a sign of equality with their colleagues. <laughs> okay. Oh, you know what? That's cool. I'm, yeah. I'm down with that. Like, yes. I'm, not taking, I'm not taking any more cushion than anybody else. I'm not. Anybody. I'm assuming, too, that the Chief Justice also has a secretary or something like that who does sort of the, like, a basic administrative... Each you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't seem like... Gets, each justice gets a full-time administrative assistant. Okay, the court overall has also other support staff. Right. Okay. Because I was going to say, I know, that, I know that technically John Roberts is in charge of the lunch at the Oh, no, no, Supreme no, 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 no. It's not the chief justice. 
it is the uh, uh, the uh, oh the least senior the least senior. So right now it's Brett Kavanaugh. Okay, but I mean technically, and and I appreciate that you know that it's a hazing ritual, but I also think probably his secretary runs something or his administrative assistant comes up with a menu and says, sir, do you want to just sign off on this? And unless there's something on there that he's like, okra, no one eats okra, then he just signs it on and we're done. Like, it seems to me like there are some tasks. I'm assuming that the court also, like John Roberts also has people to help with the lower court sort of administrative stuff, just administrative. The stuff that where you're like, because if John Roberts is the one surfing the Staples website in order to find how what the cheapest pen is that the government can buy, like that is a waste of time. No, no, no. The, that those kind of over, uh, overhead functions of a like any good bureaucracy. Have There's already, a person. Yeah, okay. have been already parsed out. Right. Okay. All right. Good. That makes me feel a little bit better because otherwise he would need that fifth person. Like he yes. would need the fifth person to do stuff like that. Okay. So, so they take let's their first cut. Yeah. Let's get back to your case. Right. So they take their first cut. Okay. And now, I make the cut. Okay. Now hold on. We're not even at that point. Ah. Now during the uh, era of chief justice Warren Berger. Okay. So to, to put this in, in terms of historical uh, perspective, the current Chief Justice is John Roberts. Before him was William Rehnquist, and before Rehnquist was uh, Warren Berger. Berger basically served as Chief Justice from uh, 1969 through, I think, 85 or 86, right? That's a long time. Okay, and before Berger was um, Earl Warren, the infamous Warren co Court. Right, okay. where we saw the civil rights stuff. Revolution, yeah, okay. Okay. Now, it was during Warren Berger's tenure as Chief Justice that the court decided to pull their clerks to review all of the thousands of appeals that get submitted. It's called the cert poll okay, okay. p-o-o-l and all of them are in it N not all some justices decide not to participate or to have their clerks participate okay so for instance for the longest time justice john paul stevens who sat on the court um sent from the mid-70s uh and he uh, retired and was replaced by Elena Kagan, okay, during the Obama administration, Stevens refused, okay? Um, on the current court, Gorsuch and Elito refuse. Why? And typically what the justices claim who don't want their clerks to participate in the cert pool is that they are afraid of groupthink, that the clerks, when they are working together, because basically the clerk will read the cert writ, do any research, and then basically issue a one to two page memorandum, okay, that gets submitted to all of the justices, yay or nay on whether or not I as a clerk think you should take the case. And the non-participating justices are afraid that there is groupthink among the cert pool. 
that the clerks tend to be very risk adverse in recommending that the justices take a case only to have the case turn out to be, for lack of a better phrase, a dog, a terrible case. <laughs> okay. okay. So wait, so I'm confused about something. Okay. So let's just say that you have a thousand, let's just make it round numbers because that's easier for me. Okay. Um, to have a thousand um, um, uh, appeals that come in, sorry, certs, cert writs that come in, a thousand of those do, and there are 10 clerks, do they each take 10 or do all 10 clerks read all thousand? No, it's the former. Okay. So let's say there's so a they're divided. Okay. It gets divided. Okay. So even these guys whose people aren't playing in the pool, do they, do they read some of these? Oh, they could. But what those justices do, force their clerks to read all of them. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Okay, so so Gorsuch fact, takes his wait. So Gorsuch takes his four clerks, and he says each of you will read two hundred and fifty, and and issue these one to two page memoranda to me. Yes, and uh, I'm going to need that next Thursday. So um, or whatever. So, okay, so they actually make it harder on their, so choosing to be one of their clerks yes. is taking on much more work, but under the theory that the justice believes it will be more independent work. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. And in fact, when you start as a clerk, your task will be to wade through all of the cert writs that get submitted during the summer because the clerks will start work in July and all they do in July, August, and a good chunk of September is to wade through, okay, the cert writs. That's all um, they do. How many are there in a year, roughly? Um, over in, in, in the last decade, per annum, the average has been over 9,000. <gasps> That's a lot yes. of reading yeah it's a lot of reading and writing oh my although one theoretically could bunch cases together if you oh, had cases that had similar themes like it, let's say that you, there are well okay wait we can do the math right there's seven justices who are throwing in therefore so there are four people so there's 28 divided into 9,000 yes. is some incredibly high number that I can't do off the top of my head because I'm that guy. Uh, are you pulling out your phone to do it? Yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> so 9,000 divided by, what'd you say, 28? 28. Okay, so each clerk gets roughly 321 cases. Okay, so you read your 321 cases, but you get your 321, and it's possible that you could pile up. These four have a similar... Yes. Whatever, these four, and so take one of these or co-join these cases so that you can get at this question or whatever. Theoretically, they could, but... According to the rules of the cert pool, Mia, okay. There are rules to the pool? 
Is it like you can't go into the cert pool until you've waited an hour after eating, that kind of thing? Not quite, but <laughs> the, the assignment of the cases is supposed to be random. Oh, okay. So you oh. might not get the 10 things that match. That's right. The five things that match. Okay. Right. Yep. So let's just say, for instance, the clerk who gets a case gets your case, Nia. Okay. Well, somebody's going to. Recommends to the justices that they accept your appeal. Yay. Okay. But it doesn't end there. At that point, the Supreme Court, okay, in its conference, okay, will consider all pending cert writs. So. All, all, all 9,000? Okay, well, typically there's roughly five to 6,000 that get submitted during the summer. And then the other roughly um, three uh, to 4,000 4, get submitted during the Supreme Court term. Oh, okay. Okay. So for those that have been reviewed by the clerks, by the cert poll in the summer, the justices come back in late September and they typically hold one or two big conference meetings where they go through all of the recommended cert writs that they should take for appeal. Okay, now that's where we get to the rule of four that you mentioned early on in this podcast episode. Right. This is an internal rule of the Supreme Court. It's not required by federal law or the Constitution. It's a rule that the court uh, adopted um, in the 19th century, and they still have maintained it. For the justices have to vote to take the case, just to take it. They're not voting on the outcome yet. Okay, this entire podcast episode is about what goes into the Supreme Court deciding to take a case? So back to your hypothetical. So each justice is reading between 320 and 640 pages. Yes. Yes. Before they sit down at the, at the group meet where they all decide. Yes. Yay or nay. Yes. And, and what the chief justice does before the conference meeting, he sends out okay, the list of pending appeals. If you want one of the pending appeals to actually be discussed at the conference, you have to let the chief justice know. If none of the justices want to discuss a case, okay, the court will announce that the cert writ has been denied. Okay, so you have to opt in. It is not yes. an opt out, it is an opt in. It's an opt in. Okay, so you get your list with your little check boxes next to it, and you check the ones you're interested in after having read the 320 to 640 pages. That's well, right. no, because you wouldn't read all of them at once, right? They probably do them in waves. Yeah, they do them in waves. So, yeah. so 100, let's say 150 to 250 pages, whatever it is, right? The first half and the second half. So, so you go through the list or you dictate the list to a minion who <laughs> yeah. checks off all the things that you want to talk about yep. that you're interested in. And then you just ignore the rest of them. Yep. And then chief justice collates or 
more likely has an minion do that, collate them and figure out how many votes each one got. That's right. And anything that gets more than four makes the final list. No, 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 no. Remember, this is the discuss list, okay? Which cases will we actually discuss at our conference? Oh, 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 oh. Okay, so this okay. is just bringing them up. That's so there right. may be 200 cases at this meeting. And there may only be 15 or 16 that the justices say they want to discuss. Okay. The rest, the, rest, the clerk of the entire Supreme Court makes an announcement, okay, on, on the website, notifies the parties. You're One safe. would hope that happens in the reverse. <laughs> yeah. They notify the parties and then put it on the website. But this is the government, so we're yeah. not sure how that yeah. always works. Okay, the, the, you're done. We're not yeah. interested. We're not going to take your case. We're done. Yes. Now, and that's it. There is no appeal to the appeal for the Supreme Court. You're done. That's it. That's right. And so if I don't make the appeal, I just go to jail. Like, yes. Well, yeah. I've probably been in jail this whole time waiting for the appeal process to go through. Or you might be out on bond. Right. But it would yeah. depend on the yeah. severity of the case and the, my potential for flight or violence and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, but all things we can discuss at another time. So. Okay. Let's go back to your case. So, so you're raising a second amendment issue, Nia, right? Yes. Now, there might be a justice or four or five, okay, that are interested in Second Amendment issues. So let's just say Clarence Thomas, okay, he's instructed his clerks to look for a cert writ that uh, raises a challenge to the federal law that bans interstate handgun sales. And voila, Nia, your case raises that issue. And, you know, uh, whatever clerk read the case in the cert pool is just like, yeah, this has got some, this has got some meat to it. This has got some weight to it. And but theoretically, luck, luck plays into that because if Gorsuch has not said that to his clerk and he's the one who draws my case. Okay, but any justice who's looking for a Second Amendment case can go ahead and disagree with the clerk's recommendation. Remember, it's a clerk's recommendation. Okay? okay. So Thomas goes ahead and tells the chief justice, I want to discuss NIA versus ATF. We've given your case a title. Okay. okay. And you probably wouldn't title it with my first name, but okay. Yeah, Rogers versus the <laughs> ATF. And more precisely, it will be more than likely... Um, whoever is the uh, director of the ATF, their right. last name. So Rogers versus Smith, right? So it gets on the discuss list and the chief justice at the conference will go ahead and say, next on our discussion is Rogers versus Smith. Okay. Um, is there any discussion? Would, uh, would anybody like to make a motion on whether or not we should grant this cert writ? And if Thomas can convince three other justices to take the case, voila, Nia, now you get an audience with the Supreme Court. Now, that seems to be pretty simple, but there's a lot of variables that go into, okay, whether or not the Supreme Court will take your case. So, for instance, the rule of four. Let's say... Thomas plus three other justices 
Elito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh are just chomping at the bit to take another Second Amendment case, right? But they got to think strategically here because they probably already know that the four liberals on the current Supreme Court, Ginsburg, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, aren't big fans of the Supreme Court's recent, um, shall we say, uh, missives about the meaning of the Second Amendment, right? Right. They don't like uh, DC versus Heller, and they don't like McDonald versus Chicago in both cases, uh, the former in 2008, the latter in 2010, <coughs> excuse me, where a narrow majority of the court went ahead and said that a Second Amendment protects an individual right to bear and possess a firearm. So you already know, if you're one of the four conservatives, Thomas, Elito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh, that there is strong opposition to, you know, expanding the Second Amendment, ruling in favor of Rogers in this case. Right. So then you got to do a calculus. Can we convince the Chief Justice to vote with us? Which becomes a question of what exactly is the constitutional question here? That's like, right. Is this, is this a constitutional question that the Chief Justice will rule with us on? That's but right. It's, but it's which case brings up exactly which nuance of the law that you think you can win on. That's if right. If it's bringing up a nuance that you think you can't win on, then you don't want to take that one. You want to take a different one. That's right. So you have to wait for the Cinderella case. You have to wait for the 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 one that's perfect as far as or as close as you're going to get to the actual tiny detail of the law that you're trying that you're trying to decide the question of. Yes, another consideration, okay. Mia. Okay. Um, why I is it? Also, assume that. Uh, um, um, and maybe I'm wrong here, but, and please do correct me um, if I am, but you also want to take a case that the public, uh, how can I put this? If I, um, uh, uh, pop the heads off of bunnies and drink their blood, right, publicly, Taking a case that, that you're trying to defend me on, like you're trying to engage me as a person, will be, or publicly that's very complicated, right? You're starting to get into a media problem with the people in the case. That's, I think some death penalty folks have problems with that because the argument against the death penalty, right, it's inhumane and cruel. Um, and it def and it's against the I can't remember which amendment now cruel and unusual punishment is that five? eighth amendment eighth amendment thank you yep. right but if the person has murdered eighty five people like it's really hard to get over that hump and, politically and publicly and that's the next variable that justices okay have remarked they do take into account which is if we take a case. Okay, um, and we rule a certain way, will it hurt the court's legitimacy with the public or with the political branches who will be forced to implement the ruling? Okay, 
So let's just go ahead and weird up your hypothetical. Okay. <laughs> During the trial, okay, the uh, government attorney demonstrates that some of the handguns that you sold across state lines were then used to commit heinous murders, terrible murders. Right. Okay. Does the court want to go ahead and take a Second Amendment case to where a gun runner who's basically going ahead and supplying weapons for mass murderers? Right. Hmm. Right. If I'm the person who supplied Timothy McVeigh, how does that alter the view of my case? My yeah. case is no longer a clean. Yes. It, 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 like it now is be, now there's now there's this muddy layer of the people involved and their potential sort of just badness as humans and how that plays out. Okay. Okay. So that's another variable, right? So they've so even though they're not supposed to look at the original case, they do look at the original case. Well, sure, because you know that's going to get reported in the cert red, right? Okay. Okay. I mean, chances are, okay, the government attorney, whoever, whoever got tasked with representing the ATF on appeal, somebody from the Solicitor General's office of the Attorney General's office is more than likely going to go ahead and say, hey, not for nothing here, guys, but, you know, the person in question here, okay, you know, it, you know isn't somebody who comes to the court okay, with clean hands. Yeah, she's not a choir girl. Yes. I mean, right? she's, she's, okay, she is indirectly responsible for. Yes, and that's right. the reason why we have this law, okay, so even if you think, Mr., you know, or Madam Justice, this violates the Second Amendment, well, we have this law because, you know, we're also supposed to go ahead and make sure that guns okay, as commerce, aren't being used to kill people. Right. Okay. okay. So they have to take into account... That, that variable. Okay. Another variable, okay, some justices look for whether or not there's conflict among the lower courts. Okay. Oh, so my district here in Richmond was like, no, you are... Yes. Run afoul of the law. But a district in... Iowa, I can't know. I don't know which one that is, but whatever. Okay, well, I'll give you a really good example. Okay, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals rules against you and says the federal law doesn't violate the Second Amendment. But what about the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers the states of Texas, Louisiana, okay, <laughs> in Mississippi, right? Okay, that you a know, much that, more conservative court that might might say, yeah. I don't think it really did violate the. No, the, the, the Fifth Circuit's like. Oh, heck, yes, it violated the Second Amendment. This is a terrible law, and we rule it unconstitutional. Right, because that would be the reverse of what I'm thinking it is. Right, yeah. right. So they're saying she ought to be able to run guns across the damn country if she wants to, because it says in the Second Amendment, you have a right to bear arms. That's right. Okay. So, and you're denying her, you're denying the people she would be buy, who would be buying her arms the right to bear arms, you unconstitutional jerk faces. Okay, okay. so. So now we have a conflict. Right. And, you know, some justices, okay, look for conflict because they don't. Think <laughs> yes. Sorry. I just like the way you phrased that. Some justices <laughs> look for conflict. Right. <laughs> I would say the vast majority of them do, but okay. <laughs> okay. 
but they look for conflict among lower court rulings because well, that means applies the law. The laws apply differently in different parts of the country. Yeah, right. So like justice. It, right. If I yeah. if I get arrested for that in Virginia, but would be praised for that in Texas. That's right. One, it tells me where to move to if I want to run this business. But also, that is in that is an uneven application of the law. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay. But then you have justices who look for certain cases because for whatever reason, that area of the law or the constitution is of a concern to them, right? So for instance, um, uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren every year told his clerks to look for cert writs written by poor defendants. Those, okay, who, um, uh, could not afford high-priced legal talent to make their appeals because he thought the American justice system um, was denying them opportunities to be heard by the highest court in the land. We know based on what clerks, former clerks have told us, Clarence Thomas looks for federalism cases. He believes that the Supreme Court's shall we say, broad interpretation of the Commerce Clause post-1937 is wrong. And he wants the court to, to overturn those precedents in the worst way, right? So he's trying to tug the court to the right. Yes. And other justices try to tug the court to the left. Yes. And so the, the good thing is that all that tugging going on probably means that nobody's really moving anywhere. That's right. they're, they're not really moving anywhere largely like it's, it's um, unless you have really big moments like you have with the civil rights movement yes where clearly they were looking for cases about equity and equality and um yes, uh, same yes. with justice ginsburg ginsburg when she's looking for cases about women equal yeah, pay and that sort of thing right she's looking for equity or equality cases but so, so they, but I'm assuming that they all have pet areas of the law. Yeah. Yes. Because that just seems to be something that, because they also do research, don't they? They do a lot yes. of. Yes. They, um, have their, their, they have their clerks do a whole bunch of research and look for issues, right? So, you know. Well, and most of the justices write books, don't they? Mm, or a lot of the justices? I mean, some do. I mean, that's more of a recent phenomenon. Maybe. Oh, Okay. okay. I mean, you know, before, you know, you know, Ginsburg, Scalia, Thomas, Sotomayor, I mean, most of the justices prefer to be neither seen or heard. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I mean. The old world view of children. <laughs> okay, they are neither to be seen nor heard. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how oh, Okay, so high yeah. profile justices is a, is a recent thing. Oh, sure. I mean, the cult, the cult of ex-justice, okay, is a relatively recent thing. I mean, okay. because, you know, before, uh, you might be a justice who was well-known within the legal profession, maybe even within the, you know, circles of government, but publicly, you know, most Supreme Court justices would never be picked out of a lineup by the public. Okay. Well, I'm not sure now that people could pick them out by their picture. They, yeah. They've heard reputationally, but yeah. 
uh, you know. Yeah, because when, okay. when I show the pictures of the justices in my classes, okay, most of the students were like, I didn't know this justice looked like this. <laughs> right. Really? Okay. <laughs> we read all these cases and none of you were curious enough just to go ahead and Google them. You Google everything else, guys, right? Yeah. I um. Uh, sorry, short, quick plug for John Oliver has a dog court. Yes. A court where all of them are yeah. depicted as various dogs. It's and, hilarious. And they've actually done a pretty good job of not, not matching physical features, that, but matching sort of philosophical features. And personality. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. Is, which I have to give him credit for because that's pretty funny. Yes. Um, but anyway, okay, so... So, so I'm so there. So somehow my case has managed to be. Let's say that my case kind of catches the eye of a justice who is looking to equalize the or not equalize, but looking to answer the question for the lower courts between court A and court B, who have very different rulings on this kind of on this kind of case. Okay. So let's say that's why they're pushing their colleagues, right? Because mm -hmm. they're saying this is, you know, an unfair application of the law. Let's fix it. Um, and they, and they've read the the chief as being interested in that kind of question, right? They've they've read his personality. They've looked across his. They know him. They've looked across his his opinions, and they think, okay, that's going to appeal to him. They've looked at me and seen that I am not an axe murderer, and I'm probably not going to be someone who the case is going to get bogged down in me versus yes. the question. So now what? Okay. So they so, take my case. Okay, so we're we're at the stage of the discuss list. Chief Justice says, okay, one of our colleagues wants us to discuss the case. Is there any discussion? Um, after discussion, is there a motion to hear the case? There's got to be four, okay? Four say yes. At that point then, okay, the clerk of the court will um, notify the parties and announce, you know, to the public that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case. Okay. And, you know, and a lot of people who are interested in certain legal issues just don't understand why the Supreme Court will go years without taking a particular case in a particular area of law. But, I mean, the justices get over 9,000 cert writs every year. Okay. Well, and apparently it has to hit the sweet spot. Like it has it, to really. It does have to hit a sweet spot. I oh, mean, yes. Wait, you told you told me something in a previous episode about another another thing that they used to judge was sort of the ripeness idea. Sure. Right. This idea of like, oh no, we're not ready to talk about that as a country, or dude, we are overdue to talk about that as a country. Well, I mean, and what ripeness gets at is, are the legal issues clear enough so that if the court takes the case and issues a ruling, it will provide clarity? And, and, and but, but, but hold on, Nia. Okay. And the reason why, uh, for those of you who are listening, the reason why the hypothetical I went with concerned the Second Amendment is that 
This past Supreme Court term, the court took a challenge to a city of New York law concerning um, uh, taking guns outside their home. But New York rescinded the law, so uh, uh, a narrow majority of the court said the case was moot. But one of those who said the case was moot, Justice Kavanaugh, pointed out the fact that it had been nearly a decade since the Supreme Court took a Second Amendment case. Right now, Nia, there are 10 cert writs in front of the Supreme Court that deal with various challenges to, okay, state, federal, or local laws concerning the Second Amendment. How do you know that? Because the court sends out every Monday a list of cases that is on their discuss list, but they've not yet decided whether or not to take the case. It's called relisting. And some of these cases, okay, have been relisted, okay, for the Supreme Court conference since March. Since March. That means, Nia, every Friday at their conference for roughly the last, what, 10 weeks, the courts had an opportunity to take votes and they've decided not to take a vote on whether or not to hear any of these 10 cases. But they keep on relisting them, which means at least one justice wants the court to discuss and take the case, but the justices can't come to an agreement on whether or not they're gonna go ahead and either deny or accept any of these 10 cases. So one person can yes. keep the case alive. Yes. And unless the rest- But until there's four, it's not going forward. forward or the rest of the justices take a vote to deny the cert writ. Which oh, okay. So they're not willing to irritate the person who's, yeah. Yeah. who's, who's interested in it. That's right. Okay, yeah. so they're so so, so they're they're unwilling to fight the fight with their colleague, but they're also unwilling to move forward. That's right. And okay, we know this because the court announces which cases, okay. okay, from the previous Friday conference have been relisted. Is, so yes, is there a list of all of them that gets submitted? Yes. Okay, so there's a full list of all yep. 9,000 yes. that were submitted last year. Yes. Yes. So you could theoretically study for patterns of yes. and, things, and scholar, that, that and things that don't do get... This, uh, okay. Yes. I should have known you do this. Oh my um, God, yes. Yes. Okay, because that's really interesting to me. Like, are there patterns of things they won't take? Are there... And clearly there's a pattern here of, listen, we don't want to go here yet. But maybe they're allowing it to stay alive because they're waiting to see if something comes in to tip the balance or if there's, yes, I right? Mean, there's something about it that yeah, some yeah. of them don't like enough not to, yeah, I mean, to so go for it, but they don't hate it so much that they've killed it. Okay, so let's think about this. 
of the 10 Second Amendment cases that have been relisted, okay, there are easily two or three of them, okay, that are about state laws that require you as an individual to justify why you need a permit to own a gun. Huh. There are a couple that have extensive regulations on you being able to have a gun if you leave your house. Okay. Okay. Then we have a case that is remarkably similar to your hypothetical, where an individual is challenging the federal ban on selling handguns across state lines, even though some states allow you to do that. But some states don't. Don't. So they're saying, okay, uneven application. Okay. Okay. So, you know, what may be going on right now is the justices who might want to take another Second Amendment case are trying to decide which of these issues do the four of us coalesce around so we can send a clear message. Because the concern among, you know, for instance, somebody like a Kavanaugh or Clarence Thomas, and they've actually put this in other case opinions, is they have a concern that the lower courts are not being faithful to their rulings in the McDonald versus Chicago case in 2010 and DC versus Heller in 2008. So they want to send a message but can they convince enough of their colleagues to take a case to send a message? And, and all of those cases have weaknesses. Sure. That, that you also have to be careful about, careful right? Because right. they can, because if you take this case and you lose it, as we discussed earlier, it could be another 10 years before you get another shot at it. And you may not be on the court at that point, like depending on for a variety of reasons. Okay. So this is political, this is institutional. This is so much more than boy. But, but if Roberts just kills them, like if he just convinces people to kill them outright, then that also looks political. It also looks like he's, like he's denying the court a a chance to weigh in on a on an important issue. That's right. Okay. <laughs> but okay. So that's see I was I was going to ask a question. So Go ahead. Yeah. It's a tangential question to this but it but it make, it makes me think about So right now um there are some people um and they are viewed as sort of the uniquely fringed let me call them that. Okay. Um, who say that robots are going to become sentient and take over the world and kill us all. And we need basically Asimov's three, isn't it Asimov who has the three laws of, I think it's Asimov. <gasps> I just lost my sci-fi card. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Asimov who, who made up the three, the three rules about robots, right? Like you can't do anything that will harm a human. There's all these, there's, there are these rules. Um, and, it, and a, a suit like that or something like that where we start talking about something that doesn't exist yet because we're trying to preemptively fix it is something that the court would say, this is not ripe. This is not a, this is not yet a thing. That's right. Like we're, we're, we can't know what the future is. This is not yet a thing as opposed to this gun thing 
which is very much a thing right now because yeah. it's part and parcel of a lot of other things having yeah, to so, do with public violence and yeah so a lot of second amendment advocates have been complaining for most of this decade that the supreme court issued dc versus heller and mcdonald versus chicago and then didn't take another second amendment case until the current term okay and most judicial politics scholars kind of sort of like, well, of course they didn't, did not, because it's pretty much a pattern for the court to go ahead and issue a kind of sort of controversial landmark decision, and then basically let, okay, the public, the political branches, and the lower courts kind of sort of figure out what are the next issues, what is the aftermath, right? So what were, can you give me a brief, like, what's the big decisions that they made? Okay, so. In just a couple of sentences for those two cases? Okay, well, so in D.C. versus Heller, the Supreme Court said that the Second Amendment uh, protects an individual right. Okay, it's not a collective right. You don't have to be part of a militia to own a gun. Okay. okay. Um, as an individual, you have a constitutional right to bear and possess a firearm. So they, put, they, they embraced the comma. Yes. Okay. They, they embraced the comma. As Scalia's majority opinion in that case said, okay, everything before the comma was a preface. Okay. okay. The most important part of the Second Amendment came after the comma. Okay. okay? Now, that applied to the federal government. McDonald versus Chicago applies the Second Amendment to states and local governments. So now does the federal government have to honor an individual right to bear and possess a firearm, but so do state and local governments, which by uh, the way are where most gun laws are, okay? Right, which makes sense because- Public health and safety. Right, Police, I was gonna say policing is at yeah. the local level, it is not at the federal level, despite what some politicians might think. Yeah, right. It's yeah. not a federal, unless there is a federal crime that has occurred. It, yes. Federal policing is, is not not is not a thing. Yes. Okay. And and again, uh, in this country, unless you can go ahead and tie it to the Commerce Clause. <laughs> right. In which case, everything's a thing. Okay. So after uh, McDonald versus Chicago, okay you had individuals either challenge existing gun laws or uh, state and local governments, as they are wont to do in this country, okay, passed new laws, basically saying, well, both Scalia in his majority opinion in the Heller case and Alito in the McDonald versus Chicago case said, reasonable regulations of the right are permissible. So let's see what is or is not a reasonable regulation. So they're pushing the question of reasonableness. Yes, that's right. Okay. okay. And of course, individuals have pushed back, okay, saying, hey, this is not a reasonable, if you will, interpretation Okay, a reasonable regulation. Like New York. You, yes. If you can't take your gun to a 
firing range firing range because it's not within whatever however many miles of your house or whatever yes. it is then that is not reasonable and the city backed down off of that and said you're right that's not reasonable okay yes because they didn't because right, they didn't want to be found that it was reasonable because if that was the case wowzers that would change yes that would be a huge change right okay um you know and we discussed that why they sort of backed off of that yeah they backed off at that right okay fine fair enough okay but you know for again judicial politics scholars were just like this isn't a big surprise right right i mean if you think for instance about brown versus board of education where the supreme court said segregation in public schools was unconstitutional. The following year, the Supreme Court said desegregation should occur with all deliberate speed. And then the court went nearly 13 years before they took another case, okay, where they went ahead and said, okay, this is what desegregation should mean in practice, right? These are the things that are or are not acceptable in regards to, okay, um, how do we go ahead and educate our young in compliance with the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment? Now, there were many critics that went ahead and said, no, the court should have stepped in, should have held school districts' feet to the fire, but they didn't. Because historically, what the court does is say, okay, we're going to issue this ruling that's going to upset a lot of people, but then we're going to give the political branches and the people an opportunity to do what? grow into it grow into it implement it so we can figure out what are the next legal and constitutional issues well and so we don't take on the patina of the the congressional branch like so that we're not we don't take on the patina of making law that's not what we're trying to do and if you keep doing that over an issue you run into that danger you run into the danger of of taking the place of lawmakers and right. then the, yeah, that's right. And then the court's legitimacy takes a hit because the losing party is like, what's the court doing being activist? What's the court doing, you know, being political? They're just supposed to, you know, uh, uh, interpret the law. Now, we all know that the, I mean, think about the, deci- you know, the decision to decide to take a case. It's more than just, is this a, a question this of a legal law? Issue? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This it's is political, political it's, it's institutional, it's how do I get along with the other eight people that I'm probably going to be working with for the next 15 to 20 years? Yeah, and that I occasionally fall and sleep in front of and they could kill me. I mean, let's just be, you know. Okay. I mean, you know, if you're a justice and every damn conference, you're like, I want to discuss, okay, a tax case. I mean, Nia, you and I both work in large government bureaucracies. We have staff meetings, okay? We know what goes on in staff meetings, which is what the conference is among the justices, right? Right. If somebody keeps on bringing up the same dead horse that we all thought that we buried, you know, years ago, okay, we start rolling our eyes, we start stop paying attention to them, we get a little excuse the expression, a little pissy with them, okay? Yeah. Okay, and this, and again, think about the Supreme Court. Well, and then eventually the department chair 
or the head of the department steps in and yeah. says, yeah. we're either going to do it or we're going to stop talking about, about it. That's right. So at some point, John Roberts is going to do that over the next few weeks, right? He's going to step in and say, all right, we're either going to deny these and call it done, or we're going to take one of these dang cases and get the rest off of this list because it's starting to bug me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Except he'll say it more eloquently than that. Yeah, but then, then either you or I, okay, could put it. Yeah, John Roberts would probably do it, you know, with a velvet glove, whereas you and I oh. would be like, oh, come on now. Right, right. I'm, about- I'm sick of hearing your mouth. Let's just vote one way or another. Yeah, that's why you and I will never be department chairs. Um, <laughs> but it, but okay, okay, so we have that to look forward to um, yeah. it, for this summer is that we get to watch this list and see. And so you're going to tell me, right, because you know I'm not going to watch this list. Um, okay. I love you to pieces, and I love the Supreme Court, but I'm not, I, I can't. I can't keep up with three quarters of what they do, but you'll tell me, right, if we end up with a with a case. Yeah, I'm going to tell you about that, and then um, in, in a next uh, in one of our next episodes, um, we're going to explore um, uh, a very important issue that's come to light uh, post um, uh, killing of George Floyd, and that is uh, the notion of qualified immunity for government officials, uh, because in addition to 10 Second Amendment cases currently in front of the Supreme Court, there's about seven or eight qualified immunity cases in front of the Supreme Court. So we're going to explore qualified immunity, how it arose, um, why it is controversial, and why it's particularly difficult for the court in regards to should they take another case to revisit qualified immunity. Okay. I'm looking forward to that because I'm interested in that question. Um, I, I, yeah, I have a whole bunch of questions about qualified immunity. So look forward to that. Um, <clears throat> but thank you so much for, for explaining to me sort of this, this, how I get a case before them. Like, because we've always leaped to the part where we're like, and they've decided blah, blah, blah. But it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of luck and a lot of nuance. A lot of luck, to- a lot of nuance. So anytime, for instance, listeners, you hear a friend, a family member, maybe even yourself, okay, argue, well, I'm going to go to the Supreme Court. Yeah, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> you if you go to the Supreme Court, if you get accepted in front of the Supreme Court, buy a lottery ticket because you have won the lottery. All right. Thanks, Augie. You're welcome, Nia. See ya. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU libraries. Special thanks to the workshop for technical assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.